Romans chapter 15. Paul writing to the church that was in Rome, he said, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were done before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah even says, I... Uh, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. All speaking about the Messiah, all speaking about Jesus. Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore... I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, whether they be in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so... Paul says, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. It was the drive behind Paul's heart to continue to go into unreached lands. That was the reason. Paul says, for this reason, in verse 22, I have been much hindered from coming to you uh, because he was so following into the unreached lands for Christ. For this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you in Rome, uh, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now... I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. He's talking about the Gentiles ministering to the Jews in Jerusalem. Um, if, if they're going to be partakers of the spiritual things of the Lord, well, their duty is also to minister to them in material things also, whether it be financial, whether it be goods or, or food or, or what have you. Verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and seal, have sealed to them, I'm sorry, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, this uh, gift, this monetary gift, this possession that I'm going to give to the church there in Jerusalem, I shall go by way of Spain to you guys there in in Rome. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. And now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. 
Lord, as we're beginning to reach the end of the book of Romans, the letter that you put upon Paul's heart to write to the church in Rome that he had never been to. And yet here it is that he, in next chapter, we'll see how many people that he knew from Rome. And he met them, I'm sure, uh, along uh, the road, many uh, churches that he would be in, oftentimes probably most of these in Jerusalem where they would go back um, to celebrate feasts and what have you. He probably became very, very good friends with many of these people um, who lived in Rome but were traveling into Jerusalem and he uh, got a hold of them and they, they were able to establish great relationships. But as far as we understand it up to this point, Uh, through many years of ministry that Paul was in, he had not yet been to Rome. And it was his desire to go to the very metropolis of the world at the time. That's where Rome, the government, was at. And Lord, you know that Paul was desiring to take the gospel into the very heart of what was the known world at the time, which was Rome, in order to affect and minister to those people there so that he could establish many saints and they would multiply from there. And so, Lord... Help us to look at this passage that we have before us today and learn from it historically, but also, Lord, help us to learn from this passage, not just about some guy that lived a long time ago wanting to go to a land that I don't really care about, maybe. Help us, Lord, to to personalize this and we begin to see okay, wait a minute, I can see myself in this and I see that there's many truths and many many things in this chapter here that I can appropriate to my own life in order to live more closely to you, Lord. And so, Lord, help me to accomplish that today. Be my mouth, be my tongue. Lord, we didn't come here to hear Pastor Don, we came here to hear you. Not in a weird way. We just want you to speak to us today. And so, Lord, remove me, take me out of the way that you would be seen here today. Help us when we leave this place today that we would be able to confidently say, I know Jesus, I know God, I know the Lord better now than I did when I walked into this place. I know my, my role in his plan even more now than I ever did when I walked into this place. I pray that there might even be someone here that, said, that can say when they walk out of this place today, I walked in here not even having a relationship with God and if I were to die, I would have gone and be lost from God forever in hell. But today, I'm no longer that man. I'm walking out of here. I walked in, a man going to hell and I'm walking out, a, you know, a man or a woman walking out as someone that's going to go to heaven. And it's all because of Jesus. And so Lord, we lift up our lives to you. Help us, Lord, to learn from this passage today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Two times ago, uh, actually, the last two weeks, I've, I've talked about different things other than Romans 15, and I'm, uh, as much as I would like to, to talk about things that are going on in the world today, I know last week I kind of just spoke a lot about the things that were going on in the world today, and I, I, it, it sounded like it resonated with a lot of you. There was quite a few of you that came up afterwards and said that they really enjoyed that and wanted to hear more of that and and we'll do that as time goes on but we're working our way through the book of Romans and and Romans 15 is something that uh, uh, I've been I've had the notes for for (laughs) three weeks now this is the third week that I've had my notes for this and so as I'm going back uh, we're going to look at and if I accidentally as I'm reading my notes um, I, I even see my very first line is last week discussing the topic topic of freedom well okay Three weeks ago, when we were discussing the topic of freedom, uh, here's the thing. Chapter 14, Paul was talking about a freedom that we have in the Lord, a freedom that we have in God, a freedom that we have in Christ. The point being that we, we, can, we can be a Christian and we are no longer uh, under a set of rules and regulations. Uh, oftentimes we think today that Christians are simply under rules and regulations. You must do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this. Do thou, you know, do, don't do this. You know, uh, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And so that's our life is, is riddled full of thou, thou shalt and thou shalt nots. And so we must follow after those. But if that's your take, then you don't understand the grace of the Lord. And that's what Paul is attempting to get to here uh, through the book of Romans. But 
more specifically through chapters 14 and 15 in the book of Romans, Paul is going to talk to us and is talking to us about the freedom that we have in the Lord. No longer being under a law of thou shalt and thou shalt not, but it's under grace. It's under grace. I don't find my my goodness before God. I don't find my righteousness before God. I don't find my approval before God. I'm not approved to God because of me following a set of rules, you see. It's, it's not the rules that make me right with God, either the acceptance of them or the declination of them, the declining. That was a weird word that just came out of my mouth. I don't even know if that's the right word, but declination actually sounds, you understand, decline? I, I don't know. That's either the acceptance of the law or the rejection of the law, of, of rules and regulations, wherever you stand. It almost sounds weird to say, wait a minute, I'm not under those rules. I'm not under those laws. Those are not what make me right before God. Those are things that don't make me where God goes, well, because you have, have attended to uh, one through ten, you've done good this week, I accept you. That's, that's no longer the way that we approach God. We don't look at the Ten Commandments and say, if I hold and keep all Ten Commandments, well then, therefore, I am going to be accepted before God because God, that's what God wants me to do. No, that's not the point of grace. It's not the point of God becoming a man in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. It, that's not the point of Jesus Christ coming upon the scene and living amongst us, and dying on a cross and rising again from the dead three days later. What he did is he put to death the deeds of the law in order to find righteousness. Was there a time where that was how you found righteousness before God? Of course it was. Is that how you find righteousness before God today? No. The way that we find righteousness before God today is not through the fulfilling of a letter of a do or don't. It's completely and totally and utterly, completely, 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 with no other additions to, it's all found in Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm accepted before God because I have accepted His Son, Jesus Christ, into my life. He fulfilled all points of the law, every jot and every tittle, and then He sacrificed Himself upon a cross for me, for you. He fulfilled it perfectly because he knew you couldn't. You couldn't. I couldn't. Man can't. There's not one man upon the face of the earth that ever fulfilled all the law of God. I don't care if you're the chief priest. You did not fulfill all the law of God. You didn't live perfectly. And so, there's only one person ever upon the face of this earth that ever lived perfectly according to the law, and that was who? Christ. That's right. It's Christ. That's it. And he did it, not just for himself, he did it for you, he did it for me. And so so we now find righteousness not by doing this or not doing that, it's by accepting Christ into our life, and by doing that, I have acceptance with God in heaven. My sins have been washed away. My failures and, and my, my, uh, my, my uh, weaknesses and my frailties and all of my inadequacies and all of the, the areas that I, that I blow it in, those things are washed away through Jesus Christ. That was what his blood was shed for. And that's why he rose again from the dead. It, it took his life and it placed it up, it appropriated upon us. It, it, it placed itself upon us. It transcended upon us. And when we accept Christ into our heart, that in so doing, when we accept Christ, we now bear the, the life of Christ in us. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees you through the filter of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what makes you holy. That's what makes you righteous. Not doing something or not doing something. It's simply through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get to. But you see, that's hard for some of us to understand. 
And Paul knows that. That's why he wrote Romans 14 and 15. That's why he wrote a lot of chapters. He, he also talks about it in Colossians chapter 2, which we talked about three weeks ago. And, and the, the idea is, is that there's certain people that still, they, they still bring uh, uh, rules and regulations of what they can or what they can't do in order to bring righteousness upon their life. They have to do this in order to be righteous, righteous before God. It even happens today. Here we have Kevin, uh, you know, for the second week, you know, talking about light the night. Why are we calling it light the night on Halloween? Because Halloween is typically a night where you don't even have to be a Christian. You can look at it and go, okay, uh, uh, Halloween is a night where basically it's, you know, demons and witches and goblins and, you know, headless horsemen. And, and it's it's kind of a... It's kind of a dark night. It's a dark night. I don't know if you understand this. I mean, most of you do. There's some, some of you in here might not, but you know, it's it's called Halloween. But but the actual term is All Hallows Eve. And the idea is that it's on October 31st because on November 1st it's called All Saints Day. How many of us celebrate All Saints Day? There might be a couple. But, but Halloween is, is the largest, besides I think Christmas. Actually, I, I'm, I'm thinking for, for the things that people buy for their houses and what have you, I think it's, 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 it's catching up to Christmas, I believe, as the number one seller or one, number one uh, manufacturer and, and, and uh, uh, sales of, of goodies and, and, and decorations and all this stuff to just... Scare the stuff out of you, you know? You know, when you go to a house. The whole idea is, hey, before we go and celebrate the day where we remember the saints, I mean, let's look at it, man. You know? Isaiah was sawn in two. I mean, he was half the man he used to be. You know? John the Baptist, he was beheaded. You know, all of these guys, they were, they were these martyrs. Stephen was stoned to death, not in the way we understand it. But these guys were, these guys were brutally murdered because they believed in God. And so there was a celebration of on November 1st, hey, let's celebrate a holy day. Let's, let's, let's call it a holy day. Let's celebrate a day where we remember those who died in the faith. And then they came along and said, well, before we do that, and which is oftentimes what we do in the flesh, we go, all right, here's the thing. Because we've got to be holy tomorrow, let's live like hell to the night before. You know, there's a there's a a picture uh, in uh, you know certain churches that say, listen, if you go to church and you confess your sins there, then everything is going to be okay. But what you can do is confess your sins there, but live like the world during the week, because on that day where you go and confess your sins, it wipes out a lot away. So live debaucherous, you know, for six days out of the week, and on that seventh day, go in and ask for forgiveness so that you're all ready for Monday morning to go back out and live debaucherous again. How many of us believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross so we can live like hell all our whole life, but we can just simply ask for forgiveness on, for a, a, a time in church where we have to go and confess our sins to another person and, and Jesus makes it all, all, all okay. Okay, yeah, just do that, do that. That's what I died on the cross for, so that you can live like hell all week so that you can come once a week and say, God, forgive me. No, there's a transformation that had to happen in an individual's life. It's the reason Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me in that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't I go to church? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do a lot of things in church? Didn't I confess a lot of things? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it's going to be a shock to people because there's people that are in churches that are going to be lost for eternity because they think that they find security because they go to church and say something holy or what they think that God needs to hear. 
But then they go and live their own life any old way they want. And, and that's not, that's not going to cut it, man. The point is, is that when you surrender your life to Christ, it's no longer about you, but it is about him. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fail, not going to fall. But it's not so that you can go and sin, simply to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. And it's definitely not so that you can go and hold it over other people's heads that I go to church on Sunday mornings and you don't, you're going to hell. I don't celebrate Halloween and you do, you're going to hell. You celebrate Christmas? I don't celebrate Christmas because that's a pagan holiday. You're going to hell. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, there's certain people that celebrate certain days and certain people that don't. You're free to celebrate whatever day you want. But do it in the light and the, and, and the presence of the Lord. Live your life for Jesus. Chapter 14, we, we, talk the to- we, we discuss the topic of freedom we have concerning celebrating a certain day over another as well as whatever foods we ate or what drinks we drank. You know, some people say, oh, you can't have that. You can't drink that. You can't eat that. Some people might be vegan. Some people might be vegetarians and, and they're just disgusted that you eat meat. They're thinking, hey, you got to go back to the days where Jesus said, where God says you can't eat those types of food. And yet, Acts chapter 10 talks about, hey, there's a sheet that came down out of heaven and man, there was a lot of good barbecuing type food on that thing. And the Lord said to Peter, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, Lord, those are all unholy animals. Those are things back in the Old Testament you said we aren't supposed to eat. And God said to Peter at that time, Peter, what I have called holy, you will call, do not call unclean. You eat it. He did it three times to Peter. Peter didn't totally understand what was going on. There was a message in the foods that he was eating, but there was a deeper message in the people that should be being reached. Back in the time, and that's Paul's talking about that even here in Romans chapter 15, he's saying, hey, the gospel is to go not just to the Jews, it's supposed to also go to the Gentiles. And if you don't understand the difference between a Jew and a Gentile, let me just say this. If, if you're a Jew, you understand that you're a Jew. If you are not a Jew, well, then you are a Gentile. Hey, don't call me a Gentile. Well, you are. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. It, 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 you're a non-Jew. That's what Gentile is, non-Jew. So I don't care where you originate from. If it wasn't Israel, if, if you aren't of Jewish blood, you're a Gentile. But back in this time... There was a hard issue going on where the church, when Christ came, that the church continued to carry on some of those Old Testament ideas that said, hey, God came back for the Jew first. But they didn't say first, they just said he came back for the Jew. And so he's here to save the Jews. But no, he came back for the world For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not that God so loved Israel that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the Jews that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was God so loved the world that included the Gentiles. And that's what Paul's trying to get to here. The gospel is going forth to the Gentiles. Here's the thing. Don't become so hung up that God, even though Jesus was a Jew and he came to the Jews, he came to the lost house, of Israel. But he came to them first. And he tried to reach them. And they strung him up on a cross. In and as much as you might look at it and go, wow, the Jews were really, really horrible people for stringing Jesus up on the cross. Stop it. You, would, you did too. Well, I wouldn't have done that if I was back then. Just like you probably wouldn't have eaten of the forbidden fruit in the garden either I mean you know if you have that kind of a high estimation of yourself well I don't even know what to say to you Adam and Eve speaks for all of us we all would have failed we all would have failed would we have been at the foot of the cross when Jesus was hanging on a cross well I see some pretty strong men 
that were willing to die for Christ that ran away from Christ at that time, none being greater than Peter. And when the chips were down and his life was on the line three times, he denied Jesus. So much so that he became so worldly in the way that he was doing it. I saw you with him. No, I was never with him, Peter said. Another person says, oh, no, 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 no. No, I saw you with him. I have never seen him. I don't know who that is. When Jesus was being beaten before he went to the cross. The third time. Oh, yes. Your mouth, your dialect, it betrays you. You're a Galilean. I saw you, Jesus. You're one of his disciples. And as everybody's looking over at him because they're going, hey, you're going to be next, man. We're going to string you up. Peter goes, hey, blankety blank, and starts cursing. I'm going to tell you right now, if I know who that blankety blank is out there that's laying down, getting all beat up, now I don't know that blankety blank. I don't know who he is. Don't you lay this blankety blank on me. And when that happened, Peter looked over and Jesus, his eyes looked up from being beaten and he looked at Peter and they locked eyes. And it's at that time, just that, that, that gaze. Have you, you've, been, you've been hit with those eyes before. Sometimes it's been mom that hit you with those eyes, right? It just goes right through you and hits your heart, man. And it hit Peter. He, he broke. He started crying. And he ran and he broke through the people, weeping convulsively that he just did what he said he was never going to do. So if you're stronger than that, well, come on up, we'll give you a pat on the back. I don't think you are. That man wasn't at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying. So, so all of this said is, is listen, Jesus Christ came and he died, not just for the Jews, but for all mankind. That includes you if you're not a Jew. That's what Paul's trying to get to. The gospel is going out to all men. And it's not just so that you follow a rule and regulation. It's not that if you do this and others don't do it, you're holy and they are not. It's not what goes into a mouth that makes a person holy. It's what goes into his heart and takes root there. And whatever is in the heart comes out of the mouth. The Bible tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're one of those people that say some things that, that are unbecoming and you say something and your friends go, why did you say that? Oh, it just slipped out. I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. No, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You did mean it. You just don't, you don't want them to know that that's how evil your heart is. If that kind of stuff comes out of your mouth, I don't know where that word came from. Repent, get out. I don't know where that, that, that evil thing that I just said about that person came out. Why would you say such a thing? Oh, I don't know why I even said it. I don't mean those things. I, I really, that's not really who I am. No, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think that maybe there's that personal time between you and the Lord that you need to have the Lord root that thing out of your life. Here, here's the thing. And that's not a rule or regulation. That's just, hey, that's just looking in the mirror and seeing, man, you've got some problems in your life. If that's what's coming out of your mouth, it's pretty ugly. If you were to put a recorder on and listen to somebody else say what you just said, you'd go, oh, oh give, give me a shower. I need to take a shower because that's ugly. You need to go to the Lord on that. Weaker brother, it says here, um, in, in verse 1, and I'm not going to read through every verse again, so please don't, don't think that I'm going to do that. Paul says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ didn't please himself, but as it is, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Paul is sitting here and saying, Hey, there are those, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so what we have in our head is that, that it's, it's a little opposite of what Paul is, is, is saying here right now. Sometimes we think that the person who 
places such restrictions upon themselves. Well, I don't eat meat. I don't, I don't celebrate that holiday. I don't put alcohol in my mouth. I don't listen to rock and roll music. I don't go to that church or I don't go to this church. I'm, you know, it's, it's not about what music you listen to. It's not about what alcohol, you know, what drink you put in your mouth. It's not about which church you attend or what have you. Paul's saying that the weaker brother, or sometimes we look at that and we think that those who abstain from so many, well, they're the stronger brother. In all actuality, what Paul's saying is oftentimes those are the weaker brother that's there. That's the weaker brother. Well, I don't, I don't do that. I don't celebrate that holiday. Wow, you must be really holy. I mean, that's, that's how we kind of look at it. Man, he's really holy. He must be really, really close to the Lord. Well, Paul's saying... Yeah, it's not about what goes in your mouth that makes man holy. It's what comes out. So it's, it's not about what food you eat. It's not about what day you celebrate and so on and so forth. It's about Christ and him only. And, and so, so Paul actually turns the tables and he says, the person who sits there and, and lives a certain code in his life and then demands that everybody else live according to the way that he wants them to live, if they don't live that way, well, then they're not holy. They're not going to, the, to heaven probably. And Paul's going, you know, that's a weak brother. Paul turns the table. He says, that's a weak brother. He's saying, because some of these brothers are out there saying, Paul, don't you ever eat meat like that. What what do you mean? Does it stumble you that I eat meat? Paul refers to, does it stumble you that I eat meat? Yes, you're the apostle Paul. You're not supposed to eat meat. Well, you know what? Then while I'm with you, I will never eat meat. Because I'm more interested in your salvation. I'm more interested in your walk with the Lord than you getting hung up on whether or not it's right for me to eat meat or not to eat meat. I'm convinced in my own heart that I love a good porterhouse. I like a good barbecue, pulled pork barbecued beef or barbecued pork sandwich. I like those. But if it's bothering you, I won't eat that. Not in front of you. Because I'd rather do without than to cause you to stumble because you're a weaker brother than I am. Now, he wouldn't say that to the person because that would just cause an argument, right? If somebody sits there and, and says, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, or you're not holy, and you go, well, you know what? God hasn't given me that same conviction, and so you're, you know, God bless you. You're a weaker brother, or you're a weaker sister than me. How do you think that's going to go over? You think that you're going to get into a long dialogue and a long discussion and that even heated because that person who is placing those restrictions upon their own life are saying, here's the thing, I'm more holy than you and you're saying I'm weaker than you? How dare you? That's what Paul's getting to. He's going, hey, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. We oftentimes think it's the other way around that the weaker brother, the weaker brother is oftentimes the legalist. We may think that it was the other way around, but more often than not, those who study the Word of God, sometimes they fall into this trap of creating rules and regulations upon themselves to be holy in the eyes of God. And oftentimes that begins to seep and bleed and filter into the manner in which they demand others to live. Don't listen to rock and roll music. Don't you drink alcohol. Don't you, don't you go to that church. Don't you go to this church. You've got you to gotta attend Calvary Chapel. Can I just tell you, Calvary Chapel is not it. It's just the way we do ministry. It's the way that I feel the most comfortable of doing ministry. There's a lot of Bible-believing, Christ-following, sold-out, believing brothers and sisters out there in many different denominations and many different non-denominations. Calvary Chapel doesn't have the corner of the market. It's, it's not going to just be Calvary Chapel, you know, congregants in heaven. And all the other churches are going to be in hell because they didn't go to Calvary Chapel. We just have a way of, this is the way that I feel most comfortable in teaching the Word of God. Now, there's some certain things that I, I, you know, most Calvary chapels, and I say that, that the vast majority of Calvary chapels, uh, they adhere to and they kind of, they kind of, you know, teach the same parameters. They have the same views on eschatology or on end times events. That's what eschatology means, the end times. They have their view on salvation. They have their view on, 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 on many different things. And, and, and here's the thing. They have a view on how they teach. 
the idea is that, hey, you teach verse by verse. But there's other churches out there that teach topically. And guess what? They're just as good. It's not about Calvary Chapel. I'm not here to say you have to go to Calvary Chapel and you're going to go to hell. No, that's not the truth. If you ever hear me say that, you need to leave this church. Because I have become a real big wacko. I give you permission. Not that you'd need it at that time. Not that you need it any time. Here's the thing. You know, there, 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 is a, <laughs> there actually was a, a, a church... Um, here in, in Sarasota that became very legalistic. I don't know if you know this. There was a church here in, in Sarasota. It, it met down in Southgate Circle. I'm, I'm not making this up. You can look it up. Sarasota Herald Tribune, Saturday, June 25th, 1994, in the religious services and, and events section. I looked it up this week, or actually three weeks ago when I did the study. Um, there was a church here in Sarasota literally called the first non-judgmental church of Sarasota. And let that sink in for just a second. We are the first non-judgmental church of Sarasota. Doesn't your name mean that you're judging that other churches are judgmental? Aren't you judging other churches not worthy? Are you not judging that other churches are judgmental and you're not? We're the first non-judgmental church. They're all judgmental over there. Don't go there. Go to our church. First non-judgmental church of Sarasota. It's not around anymore, thankfully. Here's the thing. Yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can think that we've got to go to a certain church or we've got to go to a certain thing. We've got to abstain from, from this or we've got to abstain from that. We've got to go to a religious event or a movement that seems to be happening around the world in order for God to bless us because God can't bless us where we are. Listen, this happened and has happened. There's a, a fellow that actually meets down here uh, uh, you know, in, in the parish area that... that actually went and visited a church up in Pensacola and this big thing happened. The Pensacola Holy Spirit Revival. And, and, and this thing, and it, it, much like the Toronto Blessing and much like the Kansas City Revivals and all these different things that, that people began to flock to these places because as this guy went there for a weekend service, he didn't leave for like three years. Because And they, they taught every single day. And people were flocking to this place because this is where the Holy Spirit is, is flowing. In fact, there were some local Christian radio stations that bummed my heart out that allowed commercials on the station saying, have you received the Pensacola blessing yet? Buses are leaving daily. And you can go and, 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 and be a part of this. And, and, and I, I sit there and I'm going, so in order to be blessed by God, I have to go to a place. Jesus said to the woman, you remember the woman at the well? Remember that? Remember Jesus was in Samaria? Samarians were, were basically, they were half Jewish and half Gentile. They, there was a, a, a Gentile uh, you know, uh, spouse and there was a, 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 a a Jewish spouse. They kind of got married. They began to get intermingled and what have you. And, and so there was Jews and Gentiles, you know, living and, 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 and growing together. And they became a people. And basically they moved in their Samaria. And a Samaritan was what they would call, if you were a Samaritan, a Samaritan was, was a, a, a derogatory term to people because they would basically be calling them a half-breed. You're a half-breed. You're a Samaritan. You're not a full-breaded Jew. And so we have nothing to do with you. Jesus uses the Samaritans. I mean, how many of you have heard of the good Sam Club? Oh, come on. Had somebody raised their hand because I am just old. Have you ever heard of the good Sam Club? You see the little stickers on the back of like old people's cars and, and, and RVs, you know, of like a little cartoon, you know, of a cartoon of a man. And it says the good Sam Club. I'm sorry. You're going to start looking for it. The Good Sam Club is the Good Samaritan Club. That's what it's from. The Good Samaritan Club. The Good Samaritan Club is this. 
Be a good Samaritan. Go out and, 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 and do the right thing. The whole idea is it's, it's, a, it's an area where Jesus talked about this Samaritan who, you know, a religious Jew, somebody got beat up, got robbed, and is sitting there in this, you know, on, on a path out in the middle of uh, you know, the, the, the desert area. And it's a, a, a fairly common walkway. And a, and a, a religious you know, priest comes by and sees that and steps on the other side of the road because I cannot touch that. I'm a holy man. And he walks by. By even Jesus even using that illustration, he's saying, shame on you. And another Jewish guy goes by and, shame on you. But then there came a Samaritan. That's where we come up with the term, the good Samaritan. Samaritan, a half-breed that nobody wants anything to do with. He went down and he fixed this guy's wounds. He helped him up. He took him to a place of lodging. And he, he put him in with this lodge, uh, this innkeeper, and said, now listen, you take care of him and you, you fix up his wounds and I'm paying you this. And if there's anything more that needs to be paid for, when I come back, I'll pay the rest. But help this man to get back up on his feet so he can be on his way. The good Samaritan. The half-breed. And, and, and so, so uh, the, the, uh, uh, the idea is don't ever have anything to do with the Samaritans. Don't have anything to do with Samaritans. They're half-breeds. Now, going back to this Pensacola thing, listen. There were those here in, in the local area that were saying, hey, you've got to go up there and, and be blessed because have you, have you, had, have you had the anointing of the Holy Spirit that only can come from, Samar- uh, from, from, from Pensacola? And there were those, I had a woman that went to a different church and she came to me and she knew as a pastor and she cried, she, she wept with me. And we were, it was at a big event and she came, she goes, you're a pastor, Pastor Don, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you think about the Pensacola you know, revival? I said, well, I think it's a dangerous thing. I think it's a dangerous thing that a lot of people are thinking that that's where the Holy Spirit resides and the Holy Spirit doesn't reside there. Jesus said to the, to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, remember she said, listen, Jesus, you, you, you Jews say that you worship God down there in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we say up here. And Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you the days are coming and now is that when people worship God, they will worship him. God is spirit and People who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So he is speaking to a woman who is an outcast, who nobody wants anything to do with. She was a person who had five husbands, and the person that, the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband at the time. Was there ever an outcast? What in the world is Jesus doing with this person? A half-breed woman who is an adulteress and living with so many different guys, and Jesus is sitting there speaking into her heart. Now, nobody else would do something like that. Jesus broke those barriers. The thing is, is that Jesus says, listen, there's coming a time where you will neither have to go to Jerusalem or you won't have to come here to Samaria to worship God. For God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, someone forgot to tell the people there in Pensacola that that was the case because everybody was believing that you had to go to Pensacola in order to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. I say, there's nothing more than hogwash. This woman who came to me and she said, Pastor Don, what's going on? My, my husband and I were starting to get ostracized. We're kind of getting sing- singled out from our church because it's been such a long time. We don't have the money to get to Pensacola. and We need to get up there because all of our friends have gone and they're starting to treat us differently. They're starting to look at us and they're asking us every week, have you gone to Pensacola yet? Have you gone to Pensacola yet? Have you gone to Pensacola yet? And we said, no, we haven't gone. And they're beginning to, to not invite us to things. They're beginning to ostracize. They're beginning to exclude us from the church. We're, we have a division going on in our church. Those who have been anointed and those who haven't. And I'm going, this is not what God ever wanted. This is not what Jesus wanted. And here she's weeping. She's going, my friends, my lifelong friends that I've gone to church with my whole life, we're separated because I haven't made it to Pensacola. i got to just get to Pensacola. And I'm going, how sad that we have relegated our church down to this where the Holy Spirit is found in a location. And it's not. What Paul's getting to is he's going, guys, listen, it's not what you eat, what you drink, where you go to church, what, what church you go to. 
The essence is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are you surrendered to him? And let me, I got to finish with this because I'm late. But here's the thing. The whole point of Paul, what he's saying, he's saying this. He's saying, look, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about what you put in your mouth that's going to make you holy. It's not what comes out of your mouth that makes you holy. It's what goes into your heart. And that's Christ. That's Christ. None of those things make you holy. And you might sit there and go, well, Pastor John, you might ask, are you suggesting that a person who's a Christian can live any way they choose? I say yes, and I say no. No, I say, in what I'm saying is that Paul has, in what Paul has written for our learning is that we are to live according to the word of God and be convinced in our own minds and heart what the word of God says. And as we grow and we mature and we are to help others uh, and we are to help others by hand who are weaker in the faith to, to grow in their own walk with Jesus while we keep our eyes on the main point and the main point is evangelizing the world. There was a, a, a man who actually was a Catholic. He was a bishop of Hippo. And you, some of you guys have heard him, heard of him. In fact, we have a, 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 the oldest city in the United States of America is what? St. Augustine. That's who I'm talking about. He's a bishop of, Hish, of Hippo. I started messing up some words there. I'm sorry about that. He's a bishop of Hippo. He had a statement. And, and listen, I, I don't ascribe to everything about St. Augustine. I mean, the guy did have a great walk with the Lord there's some things that are said about him that kind of blow my mind of some of the things that happen, you know, with him. And I think that's kind of cool. And I can see it happen. I can see God doing something like that. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with all of his methods in the way that he did some things, but there's, there's a statement that he said that has revolutionized my life. And I hope that it can revolutionize yours. And I hope that I can explain it in the next couple of minutes. And here it is this. Love God and then do as you will. There's a secret of life. Love God and do what you want. That's dangerous, Pastor Don, to say that kind of a statement in a church like this. We've got kids in here and we've got adults in here who sometimes are even worse than the kids. Here's the thing. You're saying, okay, just love God and then you can go out and do whatever you want. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because there's a catch. Well, if you take the English language seriously, yes. If, the, if you take the English language seriously, no, there is no catch. There's two steps. Love God. The second step is go and do whatever you want to do. Well, wait a minute. So say I want to go get blasted on a brain at a party. I want to do that. But I love God. Okay, wait a minute. We got a, we got, we got a problem. Because if you're loving God, would you do those things? You love God first, and then you do whatever you want. The idea is that whatever you want to do will be fashioned and formed based upon first a term that we've become very familiar with, some of you guys have like little rubber band things that have gone around your, not necessarily as big anymore days, more nowadays, or little necklaces or wristbands or even shirts and what have you. The WWJD, you remember that? What was that? What would Jesus do? You know that that was actually written by a man uh, by the name of Charles Sheldon back in the uh, late 1800s. Um, I've actually got the book over here. It's called In His Steps. He's the one who coined the phrase. I don't know if you knew that. What would Jesus do? That was, the, that was the essence of his life. Here's the thing. If I'm loving God and then doing whatever I, whatever I want to do, if I'm truly loving God, as if, it, let me just take it away from God. Let me just say, if I'm truly loving my wife, and then I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do, would I do something that would hurt my relationship with my wife? I better not. Here's the thing. I love my wife. But, honey, here's the thing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get blasted. I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to come home about 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> a little perfume on my neck. But I love you, sweetheart. 
I'd say I wouldn't be able to see for a couple of weeks. <laughs> After a couple of weeks, I might be able to see just a little bit out of this right eye. That just went over all your heads. She punched me and my eyes pulled shut. After two weeks, I was able to... Jokes are never funny when you have to explain them. I am horrible at jokes. Here's the thing. My wife, my wife, my wife isn't... If, if I'm truly loving my wife, I'm not going to go do that, right? What I'm going to do with my wife is I'm going to do things that cause her to feel secure, to feel loved, to feel wanted, to feel treasured, to, to know that she has somebody that would lay their life down for her. And so if I'm loving my wife, then go and do what I want to do. The things that I'm going to do are things that I know that my wife are, is not going to necessarily be against. Because I'm, I'm one with her. We're one with one another. That doesn't mean that I don't slip up and do things every once in a while. And, and I don't mean like going out till 4 o'clock in the morning and coming home with perfume on my neck. That never happens. All right, all right. That never happens. Hasn't happened. God, don't ever let me ever do that. Kill me before that happens. Here's the thing. I'd rather you do it than my wife. Here's the thing. I still sin. The, the thing is, is that I'll still do stupid things. My wife doesn't like me to eat a lot. All right, I'm just laying my soul here on the on the carpet here. Okay. Ah. Life doesn't like me to eat a lot. I slip on that a little bit. A little bit. I know it's shocking to you, but it's a little bit. Here's the thing. I'm convicted on it at times. And, and I talk to her about it. We talk, to, we talk about it. But that's a part of our relationship. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'll get there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The point is, I have a relationship with my wife and I, I, I don't want to do things that damage a relationship. I don't want to just walk on that relationship. I don't want to just presume upon that relationship. That means that I'm going to try to do things in my life that are going to be, that, that's going to be an advantage to our relationship and strengthen our relationship. And when I do slip and when I do fall, I can talk to her about it and we can, we can move beyond it. It's the same kind of thing with our relationship with the Lord, and even more so. Here's the thing. You're going to slip and you're going to fall. You're going to blow it. But here's the thing. Love God, and then go and do what you want to do. And when you're doing the things that you want to do, you're going to be doing those things that are not intentionally here to hurt the Lord. And you might sit there and try to convince yourself, and don't be an idiot. And I really mean that by saying, well, I think that, I don't think that God is going to be totally against me going out to a bar until 4 o'clock in the morning coming home for free from my neck because I'm not married. Really? I mean, come on. Really? Do you really think God's going, yeah, that's cool. Go for it. Yeah. There you go. Make sure you have seven Jack and Cokes. That's what you, that, that's, that, that is what I'd want you to do. Because it doesn't hurt me that you do that. Here's the thing. I think that you, there's, there's, some, there's some obvious understanding here that if I'm loving God, I'm not going to be down on stuff that is going to make me a danger to society. It's not going to be a danger to myself. It's not going to destroy my relationship or destroy my witness before other people. And so here's the thing. I'm going to do the things that are going to please the Lord. And I'm going to slip and I'm going to fall and I'm going to go back to him. I'm going to repent. I'm going to re- you know, be renewed. And the Lord is going to set me back on the right path and I'm going to continue to walk. Love God and then do what you will. Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. But what you do, the part of doing what you will, don't forget the first step. Because know this, wherever you are, wherever you go, Christ, if he is in you, is with you where you go. And so, all of a sudden, it makes life so much easier to live as a Christian. Is God against me eating a pulled pork sandwich? No. You know, everywhere I see Jesus, when he gets back with his disciples, they're always eating. It's kind of a cool thing. In heaven. What would you say? 
fish, yeah. In heaven. In heaven. In heaven. Here's what, here's what we got. Listen, in heaven. The church, when it's raptured, you know what the first thing we're going to do in heaven? Marriage supper of the Lamb. Supper. Jesus likes to eat. I'm still trying to get that thing down. Lauren, how do I like to eat and not eat too much? You know. And here's the thing. The point is this. If you want to have a porterhouse, do it. Unless for you, you think it's wrong before the Lord. And then can I tell you that Paul says to you that is sin? If you think that what you're eating is going to be wrong before the Lord and you do it anyways, Paul says, well, to you it is a sin. That doesn't make sense, Pastor Don, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If that person over there can be right with God and he can eat a porterhouse and I'm sitting here and I'm eating a porterhouse but I have this guilty feeling before God you know, that I shouldn't be eating it, and well, then don't eat it. The idea is to have a clear conscience before God. I love Paul's last letter that he ever wrote was to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The purpose of the commandment, Timothy, is to love with a pure heart, with a good conscience, and with a sincere faith. The idea is to have a pure heart before the Lord, a clear conscience before the Lord, and you live out your life in a sincere faith. That's what Paul's trying to get to. Love Gang, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Love God and do what you will. Don't put your limitations on someone else and make them think that if they don't do it, they're not going to be holy. To them, it might be all right. You might be sitting here and going, well, this is pretty dangerous because, Pastor Don, there's some people that like to drink alcohol. They shouldn't. Well, if that's you, don't drink alcohol. So you're saying you're giving it okay for other people to drink alcohol? That's, I think that's sinful. Anybody who drinks alcohol, that's sin before God. I don't know, Jesus drank wine. In fact, the very first miracle that he ever did. You understand, the very first miracle that he did was to turn water into wine. His first miracle was to keep a party going. <laughs> now, we've got to be careful with that, right? It's called discretion. There's called limitations. There's called having a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith before the Lord. If you're going to drink drink wine to excess, the Bible says, do not drink into excess, as is the manner of some. Don't do it. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't get drunk. If you ever do drink wine, be very, very careful. I'm not sitting here advocating and trying to get you to drink wine or saying, hey, I drink wine every night. I don't. I don't. I choose to stay away from it because I know that there's people that, that struggle with alcoholism. And the idea is, is that I stay away from it because if I go into a store perfectly legal for me to do, perfectly okay for me to do in the Word of God, and I go in and buy a, a bottle of wine, it's my luck that the person who has been so sober and has struggled for his sobriety for years and is finally there, and he's surrendered everything to the Lord, I'm going to meet him walking out with a bottle of wine in my hand, and he's going to go, hey, Pastor Don's doing it. Hey, let's go tip a few back together. And I would be the, the, the cause of his demise. I don't want that on me. And so I've chosen in my life to not, to just abstain from those things. It doesn't make me more holy. If I see wine at your house, I don't go, oh man, you're a sinner. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's between you and the Lord. I'm not your judge. God is. Now there's some that might be here and going, I kind of like this pastor. He's like not putting all these rules and regulations on. Don't like me, like Jesus. He's the one that did this. 
He's the one that's saying, don't try to find holiness in a day or in a food or in a drink or in any other thing. Find holiness in Christ. There's, liberal, there's, there's liberality with Christ. But it all comes down to this. Am I loving God in my liberality? And is my liberality going to cause another person to stumble? And that might be you. I think one of the greatest stories, and I do finish with this, I think it's cool. I think it's just hilarious. I had a new couple that was a part of, uh, not our church, it was before I came um, to Sarasota. But they, uh, they uh, got saved. They were hard, hard, hardcore partiers. And, and a call went out that, to have home fellowships. And is anybody want to open up their home just to facilitate a home fellowship? You know, we'll send a teacher in there and we'll put the people over there. But you just want to open up your home. You got a home big enough to, to house, you know, 15, 20 people in there. And you want to have a Bible study in your house. You want to just be the host. You know, sign up in the back. We've done that here, right? Well, this couple said, yeah, man, we're brand new believers. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so they, the church said, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll have a home fellowship at your house. And so they did. And this couple, uh, the night of the Bible study, Bible study, all the people came in. And that, that, their island had soda and water, Jack Daniels, Michelob, Miller Draft. They had everything you could, you could possibly want. And as they're walking in, you know, the husband has a cigarette in his hand. Hey, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. And, and all these people are like, okay, all right, all right. And they went in and they had their Bible study. These couple were just token away. And uh, nobody said anything. They had a good time. They left. The next week, everybody was back. Had the same setup. Nobody said anything. And after everybody left that second week, Ron and Janet, they were cleaning up. And Ron said, Janet, you know that nobody else is... We have just as much beer out here. How many, how many beers did you have? Uh, two. Yeah, I, had, I had a couple too. Uh, there's only four beers missing. We're the only ones that we're drinking. Yeah, you know what, Ron? Was anybody else smoking? No, I come to think of it. No, no, nobody else was. All right. The third week, everybody showed up. There wasn't a beer bottle or a Jack Daniels bottle on the table. They, they refrained from smoking. And the Bible study went on just as if it did the very first two weeks. You know what? I applaud that group of believers that had a Bible study at their house. You know why? Because it doesn't have anything to do with the alcohol. It doesn't have anything to do with the cigarettes. It doesn't have anything to do with... It has to do with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They were living their lives for the Lord. And I, 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 you know, there are certain times in my life that I look back and I can be proud of Christians and that's one of those. I'm just going, good job, guys. You lived your faith well. God took that and, and, and got it out of Ron and Janet's life. They stopped smoking after a while. They stopped drinking after a while. And now they're fully on fire for Christ and they're walking with the Lord. But they were walking with the Lord then. But there came a point in their life where they were convinced in their heart that, hey, some of the things that I'm doing in my life are causing others to stumble. And I don't want to do that anymore because I want to glorify the Lord. But it all came back to and started with Christians just being Christians and not putting rules and regulations upon others. Can you imagine? What would have happened if somebody would have been in, yeah, you don't ever have alcohol out. That is a no-no. And, and stop smoking. It's disruptive. It's bad. They would have felt like fools, but nobody made them feel like fools. God stopped them. God did his work, and God did a, a neat, neat work. And so I hope that this is liberating to you, and I hope that it is not... Simply, hey, wow, I think, again, measure everything you do first by loving God. And then when you go and you do the things that you're doing, know that what you are doing 
that you're putting your hand to, you will first run it by the first step. Is this something that the Lord would have me to do? What would Jesus do in this situation? Would he do this? Jesus wouldn't sleep around. Jesus wouldn't, you know, destroy his temple. Jesus wouldn't, you know, drink to excess. He would never do that. Don't slip up and go, well, every time I just slip up and drink to excess. Stop, 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 stop. Love God, do whatever you want. And that's what Paul's trying to get to in chapters 14 and 15. He's saying, guys, it is fun to be a Christian. It's great to be a Christian. It's hard. But God's going to be there to lead you and to guide you. Do it freely. Do it freely. Rid the the, the yoke of the rules and regulations from your head. We're found righteous in Jesus. I hope that that resonates with somebody. I'm sure that some of you are probably not down with what I said here today. I'm willing to talk with you after the service, but... It really comes down to this, man. I love Jesus, and I just want to do what he wants me to do. Don't lay a trip on me of what I can do and what I can't. If I see in the word of God that the word of God tells me not to do something, I need to stay away from it, and so do you. That's between you and the Lord. Father, thank you so much. I pray, God, that this message came out correctly. Um, By no means, Lord, is this message intended to... uh, Say it's okay to go out and sin. Lord, that you've given us a license to sin, to to, to blow it. No, that's not it. The intention of this message, Lord, as you know, as it was prepared, is to draw us closer to you and, and to recognize that we have an unparalleled freedom in you that is not found upon rules and regulations, but it's found upon you and you alone. And it is so liberating. Help us, Lord, to live our lives for you, surrendered completely to you. And then, Lord, convict, convince, and direct our lives in how we're to walk. Because if we truly are surrendered, we're going to do what you want us to do. And so, Lord, bless our lives as we follow you and not follow a list. Help us to be free and live free from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.